This is the On Humans podcast with your host Ilari Mäkelä, and it is time for one more highlight from season one. This is from episode 14 with anthropologist Vivek Venkatraman. That episode was about human origins, or specifically about whether our distant hunter-gatherer ancestors lived as political equals. That is a very common suggestion, partially rooted in the surprisingly egalitarian lifestyle of many hunter-gatherers who still live in the 21st century. But how reliable are these modern-day hunter-gatherers as a window to the past? If you are interested in that question, you should definitely listen to the full episode 14. But it's also interesting to notice, I think, that regardless of whether these modern-day egalitarian hunter-gatherers represent something of a universal form of Ice Age politics, well, they are here with us. And by being here with us, they demonstrate that humans are able to live in such a fashion. And this is in itself, I think, very interesting, very important, and sometimes very inspiring. And so I asked Dr. Venkatraman to briefly sketch what it felt like to live with the Batek people, a group of hunter-gatherers still living off wild foods in the Malaysian rainforests, and who are well known for being one of the most egalitarian hunter-gatherers alive. So here is Dr. Venkatraman on his time with the Batek people of Malaysia. Because you've lived with the Batek people, right, who are notoriously egalitarian also between, uh, between genders, not just be- between male members. So... Having lived in this kind of very egalitarian hunter-gatherer group, can you flesh it out for us? Like, what is it like? Yeah, well, I think we can encapsulate this egalitarian lifestyle by the title of the main ethnography on the Batek. It's called The Headman Was a Woman, the Gender Egalitarian Batek of Malaysia. This was written by one of my PhD advisors, Kirk Endicott, and his wife, Karen Endicott, who lived with the Batek back in the 1970s for quite a long period of time recording their economy, what they were doing. So where the title comes from is that when they were living there, the idea in hunter-gatherer studies had been that, that even in these, in these groups, you had male domination to some extent. Hmm. But when they were living there, they found that the person who seemed to have the most power in the group was a middle-aged woman. And this was in contrast to the government-appointed headman of this group. <laughs> this would be the person that would interact with government officials uh, when they wanted to speak with the Batek. But what's funny is that this designation by the government didn't really hold any sway with the actual people. And in fact, the person they designated as the headman was known as being maybe a little bit lazy and, and selfish. Instead, it was this woman... Uh, who had a husband and several kids, who was the quote-unquote headman. But what does it mean for her to be a headman? Does she give orders? She does not give orders. She can't tell people what to do. But she has this kind of informal status by virtue of her charisma and her knowledge. Hmm. She would have been a very good forager. She would know where all the fruits and, and tubers are. Um, She was probably good at resolving interpersonal disputes. And so she took the Endicotts under her wing and kind of helped them along. And they, they wrote about how, how you have this informal leadership um, in this group. And in this case, it, it was a woman. In a lot of groups that are egalitarian, it, it might just be male egalitarian, hmm. whereas um, women are not of, of the same status, really. But among the Batek, uh, you actually have high levels of gender egalitarianism. What was it like for you to live there? I mean, it's quite a contrast. You drive, what, four hours from Kuala Lumpur with the world's tallest buildings, and, and there you are. 
it is such a contrast and it's so fascinating to see the lives of foragers and hunter-gatherers today. You can drive a few hours from this large city, Kuala Lumpur, and be in a Batek village where people have cars and stone houses and you know they might shop at a, a local supermarket or something. And if you drive a few more hours and then take a boat a couple hours into the jungle, you'll find people living in lean-to huts who are regularly hunting and gathering. So there's a hmm. lot of variation in the way that people engage with the, the outside world. And what do you see? What, what, what's the difference in, in terms of culture between these two parts of the Batek community? I mean, what, what it, where, where, when you are in the deeper part of the jungle where people are still hunting and gathering, what... How do they differ in their, in their norms? In their, what was it like for you to be there and, and then come back? I'd say it's quite noticeable. I think sharing norms are different. There just seems to be a lighter spirit in these, in these areas. Uh, women will walk around with their, their shirts off, you know, even with, with <laughs> us as, as foreigners around. And it's just a, it's, it's a really fascinating culture to live in because it makes me question what is kind of normal about being human, right? So mm. in our society, we have a word for thank you, right? We say thank you when someone mm. gives us something. In a mm. hunter-gatherer society that is egalitarian, lots of property is just thought of to be common, right? So if you bring in meat from hunting, that kind of belongs to the group in a way. If you just took that, that monkey, let's say, that you killed and... Mm took it into your own hut and kept it for your family, that would not be a very good move, socially hmm. speaking, right? Hmm. Lots of things get shared out. People don't accumulate a lot of personal property. And so the word thank you doesn't really have the same meaning in this in the society. And they, they don't have it because it kind of indicates an exchange relationship, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so when I go there uh, and someone gives me something, let's say a plate of food, and I say thank you, they kind of look at me with a look of puzzlement on their face because in a way it's almost kind of insulting uh, right just that you have the right to not give it to them if you want to exactly but you're giving it from your gracious yeah yeah, yeah exactly it, it indicates uh, this premise that's that someone owns this food where where in reality it's kind of communal and then you know the other side of that coin is if if i give them something they'll just kind of take it and walk away which you know <laughs> will kind of strike me as a little bit odd like oh why aren't they saying <laughs> Thank you, but but it, it just shows that these are just kind of products of our of our culture. So that was the last highlight from season one. And if you're interested in hunter-gatherer studies and what hunter-gatherers perhaps can tell us about our, our, our past, you should definitely check out not only episode 14, but also um, episode 8 with uh, Douglas P. Fry on the origins of war. And also episode 6 with uh, Kristen Hawkes on the biological origins of menopause and the way that grandmothers might have played a critical role in the evolution and the success of the human species. But that's it for now. That's it for season one. Stay tuned for season two. And until then, take care. <laughs> <laughs>